the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, family. Ron Geyer, once again, doing more End Time Insights as we prepare you for the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If I was going to a church somewhere, I would make sure that they did their best to talk about Jesus, to tell us he's coming back soon, to warn us of the danger that our sin is leaving us in, to point out the problems that we're having in our nation because our church has gone silent on the subject of sin. And it's just something that we don't have any control over, but we find a church, we make sure that they preach the word of God, and there we go. So hallelujah. We thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus for today. We thank you for the opportunity to preach the gospel. We thank you in the name of Jesus. So hallelujah. Welcome back. We are picking up on humility, and it'll be fine. Thank you, Jesus. A little bit of technical difficulties here. God's got good people surrounding me. Hallelujah. It's week number two on humility. Don't forget, we spoke forever, it seemed, on pride. And I think, in my opinion, pride is probably the most dangerous sin out there because pride is a direct affront to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. And the depraved sexual community out there, they say they refer themselves to as gay pride, gay pride week, gay pride parade. And it's amazing. They're just marching in their sin. There's no shame And it's pride and it's just spitting in the face of God that, hey, we don't need you. We are proud of our sexual depravity. Uh, We're going to continue to walk in our sexual depravity. We're going to preach about our sexual depravity. We're going to insist that the world accept our sexual depravity. We're going to spread that message of sexual depravity to our school children, to uh, through the TV, the airways. We're going to use Disney. We're going to use radio. I mean the Lord Jesus is coming back soon and you need to be aware of that. Amen. So anyway, we're talking about humility and humility is the direct opposite of pride. It is actually the remedy for the poison that is called pride. And as in all things, of course, we're going to find the remedy. We're going to find the antidote to pride in the word of God. Humility isn't something that one just pops down to the local corner Walgreens or something to go by. It's it's a work. It's a progressive work in us where we are continuing feeding that spirit of pride through not taking thoughts captive in our mind, where we are constantly thinking about ourselves more highly than we ought to. And so humility fights that. Humility opposes that. And we must be consistent. Just as pride is a work of consistency in our lives, uh, so too does humility need to be. And there is some preparation in creating a humble heart, the heart that Jesus had. Jesus, Matthew says, Jesus was humble in heart. 
And that humble heart, it's an attitude to replace the heart that's been hardened by pride. So let's look at some verses. Let's dig in and see what the Bible has to say about pride. We're going to start once again in Matthew. I know I read this before, but it's such a good verse. Matthew eleven twenty nine, the Amplified uh, Version. Jesus talking, he's actually, what's the word? He is prophesizing. He is looking for disciples and he offers these people the opportunity to become his followers. Matthew eleven twenty nine. the Amplified, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, not of me, learn from me, following me as my disciple. For I am gentle and humble in heart. One of my favorite phrases in the entire Bible. I am gentle and humble in heart. I love that. And you will find rest, renewal, blessed quiet for your souls. So Jesus invites us to follow him and to become his disciples. And the bait that he uses, this is so good, the bait that he uses to get us to follow him is rest for our souls. I love that because most people in this world today, they have no rest, especially in America. You know, we're busy earning money, paying off our debts because we couldn't earn enough money. We're raising our children. We are living lives of fantasy through our sports and our music and our movies. And we just never find rest for our souls. Now, we may shut down our minds for a while. We may go to bed at night and give our bodies some rest. But we're talking about soul rest. We're talking about rest for your soul. And that's only where true peace lies. You cannot have true peace if you're not restful in your soul. And that only happens in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus knew that is what we needed. That is why he offered them rest for their souls. And he then used himself as an example of how that worked in his life. I am gentle, he says. And I am humble in heart. Jesus didn't strive with man. He didn't defend himself against the accusations or resist the persecution that was coming his way because he was preaching the gospel. Matthew twelve twenty, the King James, a bruised reed shall he not break and smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory. So I've read that many times. I really never got into it, never really understood it. So let's look at that in the message version. Jesus, knowing that they were out to get him, moved on. A lot of people followed him. I love this. And he healed them all. He also cautioned them to keep it quiet, following guidelines set down by Isaiah. Look, he says, look at my well-picked, hand-picked servant, Isaiah says. I love him so much. Take such delight in him. I place my spirit in him. He'll decree justice to the nations, but he won't yell. He won't raise his voice. There'll be no commotion in the streets. He won't walk over anyone's feelings. He won't push you into a corner. Before you know it, his justice will triumph. The mere sound of his name will signal hope even among far off unbelievers. That's our king, guys. That's Jesus. And that's how he walked in the earth, humbly, gently, never defending himself, demonstrating gentleness, meekness, and humility, never fussing or fighting for what's his, never promoting himself, Never once using his rightful, fleshly position to support his rightness. So, let's think about that. God has claim to the throne of our hearts, does he not? Through creation, right? He has claim to the throne of our hearts. But that lordship buys both with Satan and with man for that throne. Someone's on that throne of your heart, guys. It's either Jesus, it's either Satan, or it's you. It can't be shared All three are after the same prize, which is our souls. Satan wants your soul. You want your own soul. You want to be able to do what you want. You're your own idol. And of course, Jesus wants it. And it really isn't even yours, guys. It was created for God's purpose, not yours. 
Satan tries to steal it. You try to keep it. And God wishes to win it. By all rights, it's God's. But he gives you the right to decide, right? Joshua twenty four fifteen. Choose ye this day whom will you serve. Humility, it clears the impostors off the throne of your heart. Let me say that again. Humility clears the impostors off the throne of your heart. Today, man's efforts dominate our Christianity. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost at best is a guest in our church services, our prayer meetings, even our Bible studies. At worst, he never even shows up. I know it's difficult, but in today's worldly environment, spirit-led living must be achieved if we are to fulfill God's plans for our lives. And spirit-led living begins with and strongly includes humility. He must increase, John wrote. I must decrease. And that's a wonderful thing to remember as we go through life. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. John saw it. John saw that he must decrease. He knew this was all about Jesus. It wasn't about him. He knew it. He must humble himself and he must let Christ shine. He could no longer take the glory or walk in the accolades that belong to Christ. John recognized that. God's plan, it was bigger than himself. I think for some of us, we may know that. But for most of us, we fail to walk and demonstrate that knowledge. Self-check here, guys. What are we thinking about? What are you thinking about? What are you talking about? We talk about the things that we love and we value. Could be your children. Perfectly good thing to talk about. But when they dominate your life and you're no longer looking at Christ singularly through the vision placed out in the Word of God, you're going to be distracted from the things of God. We talk about the things that we love. We talk about the things that we value. We want attention. We want the praise and we want the accolades now. You don't think so? Okay, today is Sunday night. What did your preacher talk about in church? Hmm? What did they preach on? Notice who's in charge there. When you sung your worship songs, were you singing about him? Were you praising him? Were you singing for his glory? Or were you singing about ourselves? I am a friend of God, right? Were you singing about... Uh, the things that God has done for you. Worship time is for God and God alone. You're dead. All you're doing is giving the highest creator, the only creator, the only true living God, the praise due his name. Who are we singing about and who are we singing to during our worship time and our services? The preacher, how often did he mention Jesus? Did he talk about what Jesus did? Did he talk about the fact that Jesus is coming back? Did he talk about sin? Did he rebuke sin, right? Or are they talking about how to get bigger houses? Are they talking about faith? Are they talking about blessing? We need to go back to preaching the truth. And that includes what Jesus did, what is happening now, and what will be occurring very shortly. The Lord's soon return. Are they calling you to repentance? That's the message of God. But man has substituted a much more, uh, how shall I say, friendly, secret-friendly message Because we want you in our churches. Why do we want you in our churches? Because it's good for us. It's good for our egos. We collect money from you. And that's why a lot of our preachers are so prosperous right now, because they've got you coming into the church, little realizing that they're supposed to be shepherding your souls. They're going to be held accountable to God for your spiritual state. I've got a friend who has a friend who happens to be my friend from way back, but I haven't seen him in a while. Anyway, he's going through some stuff, some very serious stuff. And I says, well, hey, brother, why don't you take him before his pastor? I mean, right? That pastor is charged with his spiritual well-being 
And I got a kind of blank look at it. And, you know, there really wasn't any understanding. Uh, you know, he's asking me. I said, well, he doesn't even come here. I said, we will gladly pray for him. But, you know, if you're going to church somewhere, that means you have humbled yourself and you have submitted yourself to the authority of your pastor. And the way that works is if you submit yourself to the authority of the pastor in his teaching, then you will also find that your spirit is submitted to your pastor when he rebukes you. When he takes spiritual control over things that are coming against you, you have given him authority to do that. And that's how that works. So we need to rely on our pastors to really um, have charge, have guard over our souls. That's what a shepherd does. The main verse I want to talk about today concerning humility, it's really good. It's in James. I know you don't really associate James with humility at all, but James one i I'm going to use the amplified version. So get rid of all uncleanliness and all that remains of wickedness. And with a humble spirit, receive the word of God, which is implanted, actually rooted in your heart. So important, which is able to save your souls. Wow. When I get a scripture that tells me it's able to save my souls, my antenna go up. I want to know what's this going on that's going to save my soul because that's why I'm here. I am here to have my soul saved so I can spend eternity with the Father in heaven, with Jesus Christ. Even Hebrews 10 talks about it. We use our faith, right? Cast not away your confidence, your faith, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience after you've done the will of God. You might receive the promise, for he that will come will come and shall not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not those that draw back unto perdition or sin. We are those that believe to the saving of our souls. Faith is great. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. By faith, the old guys please God, Abraham, Moses, Rahab. They please God. They obeyed God. And that's wonderful. But at the end of the day, faith is designed for the salvation of my soul. And we cannot go through life thinking we can't use faith. We don't have to use faith or misappropriating faith and have our soul saved. The primary purpose of your faith is the salvation of your soul. So let's break this scripture down. James one twenty one. James says we must receive the word of God, right? Get rid of all uncleanliness and all that remains of wickedness and with a humble spirit receive the word of God, which is implanted and rooted in your heart, which is able to save your soul. I don't really, matter of fact, I don't think I've ever heard that verse, okay? But I can't believe this verse doesn't get the attention it deserves. It's a salvation verse. It's a salvation verse to the people who are probably already saved. And this is the way that you keep your salvation with a humble spirit receiving the word of God. So let's break it down. I'm going to start at the end of it and work my way to the front of it, okay? The last seven words of that verse, which is able to save your souls. So like I said, you're excited. You're about to learn something that is able to save your souls. There's nothing more important, right? I mean, that beats getting a raise, (laughs) right? It beats getting a new Beamer, winning the lottery, the salvation of your souls. It means you're going to live forever in kingdom of heaven with God, with Jesus, with your family, with a whole multitude of people that love the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be in an environment of perfect health, perfect peace, perfect wisdom, perfect joy. The assignments God gives you will be perfectly ordained for you to bring you maximum fulfillment. It's going to be a wonderful environment. The animals talk, the grass sings, hallelujah. It's going to be such a perfect place. And that's where we're heading. And so when you come across a verse that says, which is able to save your souls, I want to find out. So as I work my way backwards in my mind, I know that there's nothing more important than what I'm about to discover. What is able to save my souls? I want to know. I'm going to find that out. 
So what's more important in life than the salvation of your soul? Well, absolutely nothing. (laughs) James has said that something that has the ability to save my soul, he's going to tell me about. Okay, I'm eager. I'm ready. My hands are up. Let's go. The word of God, which is implanted, actually rooted in your heart, which is able to save your souls. Okay. So I have just learned that it's only the word of God that is able to save my soul. Nothing else. The word of God. There it is. Only the word of God is able to save my soul and your soul. But once again, there's an if planted here as well. It's not just the word of God that's in the Bible or the word of God that's on the preacher's lips that is able to save my soul. It's the word of God that has been implanted, actually rooted into my heart that is able to save my soul. Do you follow that? The word of God, my Bible sitting on the coffee table does not save my soul. My preacher preaching to me does not save my soul. It's the word of God that's been implanted and rooted in my heart that is able to save my soul. Hear me. The word must take root. But in order for that to happen, something else has to take place first. The word must be received and the requirement for one receiving the word is... They must have a humble spirit. The good ground or the receptacle for the word of God is a humble spirit. Without a humble spirit, one cannot receive the word of God. Furthermore, without a humble spirit, God can't plant the word. It will never take root. Let me read James one twenty one again. I'll go slow. So we're going to come up to this first part in a minute. We're getting there. So get rid of all uncleanliness and all that remains of wickedness. Got it. And with a humble spirit, receive the word of God. What receives the word of God? A humble spirit. If you have pride, you do not have a humble spirit. Now follow that through. If you do not have a humble spirit and the word of God is implanted in your spirit, then pride interferes with the planting and your heart is not fertile soil. Your heart is not good ground. So instead of receiving the word, With a proud spirit, you don't receive it at all because the only place that you can receive the word from is with a humble spirit. You must have a humble heart to receive the word of God. So then, how do we get the humble spirit instead of the proud spirit? Well, now we're at the beginning of that verse again. So, get rid of all uncleanliness and all that remains of wickedness. That phrase, that remains of wickedness, to me now... That means he's talking to the church. Actually, if you read on, you recognize he's talking to the Jews. He's talking to born-again Jews. He's talking to the church that had once been Jewish that is now born again. That's why that phrase, all that remains of wickedness, that means wickedness had been in their lives, but they had gotten rid of it at the new birth. Jesus defeated sin and the power of sin, and they had gotten cleaned. But now James says, get rid of the rest of it. There's still more. You got to get rid of it. And he says, get rid of uncleanliness. Also, that normally is referencing sexual sin, some type of sexual sin. And so he's saying, get rid of that, and that will give you the opportunity to have a humble spirit. Having the humble spirit then gives you the opportunity to receive the word of God. Receiving the word of God then gives you the opportunity to have that implanted within, bearing fruit, which is now able to save your soul. Do you see why that verse is so important? A, you've got to get rid of sin. You must repent of sin. And don't forget, sin is idolatry. It's me saying, God, no, I want this. I want that. 
I want a pleasure in that. I want that for my greed. It's putting you on your throne is idolatry. You need to stay off of that thing and let God have it. It belongs to him anyway. He made it. And so when you do that, that will give you the manifestation of humility, which enables you to receive Christ into your lives. And pride, pride keeps that. Pride says, no, God, no, you may not rule my life. It's an outright, in-your-face rejection of what Christ has done. And so we see then, Lord, give us that humble spirit. Surely the Lord says, how do we get this? How do we get the humble spirit? And it says, get rid of all uncleanliness and get rid of all that remains of wickedness. James says, we acquire a humble spirit when we get rid of all sin. And who's James writing to? I just pointed that out. He's writing to Jewish Christians. That's the phrase I was looking for, Jewish Christians. So one might think that at the new birth, all uncleanliness and all wickedness leaves our lives, but we all know that's just not true. Not every born-again Christian can receive, the King James calls it the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. We must have a humble spirit. You're going to hear that word from now till I leave this earth. Humble spirit. Get rid of pride. Create a humble heart. Only that will be attained when we get rid of the sin in our lives and we stand before the Lord, make it naked and complete in him through the word of God. The word of God, it just doesn't settle anywhere. It just doesn't land and take root wherever it is. It needs fertile ground. It needs the prepared land for the word of God. And in mankind, that is called a humble spirit. Can you now see the danger of sin in our lives, especially the danger of the sin of pride? Back to James one twenty one, one more time. So get rid of all uncleanliness and all that remains of wickedness, and with a humble spirit, a humble heart, receive the word of God, which is then implanted and actually rooted in your heart, which is able to save your soul. The Greek word for humility here is proutes, P-R-A-U-T-E-S, and it can mean several Things Actually, it has several aspects to it that define meekness or gentleness. But generally speaking, it connotes being humble or lowly in mind. It means being lowly in our approach to God, humble in our approach to God. Notice this word humility is placed between the command to get rid of sin and the receiving of our new selves from God. I love that. A saved soul. So you've got sin at the beginning of the verse, and then you've got salvation at the end of the verse. But in between the two, you've got the thought of humility, a humble spirit. That is placed right where it belongs. God gives us the broom and the mop concerning the sin. He says, remember, so you get rid of uncleanness and you get rid of what remains of wickedness. So he gives us the broom and the mop. He provides the cleaner, his blood, but it's up to us to provide the elbow grease. The goal is a clean heart environment, a humble spirit, so that he can continue the increase to planting the word. His spirit will bring in the new furnishings, as it were, but it's up to us to take the old stuff out, trash, sin, and it's up to us to keep it out. But this human example falls far short of what's actually taking place here. Basically, death has been evicted and eternal life is moving in. That's the new birth. We have been born again. Our souls have been saved. And now it's up to us to keep that humble spirit, to guard that humble spirit, to protect that humble spirit. Proverbs 4.23 talks about that. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That's serious stuff. When you remember that the humble heart is in there, and he's saying guard that. 
That's why James says, get rid of all uncleanliness and the sin that remains. He knows that at the new birth, we were cleansed and set free from sin. But he also knows that we live in this filthy, wicked environment and Christians still sin. What? Of course we do. Not all sin, though, can block us from receiving the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. But he knows that some sin does. Hence the encouragement and the warning. The writer of Proverbs further tells us to keep on or to guard and this humble spirit, this humble heart, because our life is there. It's so important, this humble heart. You get rid of pride and new life begins. You're in relationship with God now and your heart becomes humble. I mean, living in relationship with God, how could you be anything but humble? He's God. You're not. He made you, shall the clay say to the potter that formed it, right? I mean, gee, we need to get it right in our perspective. He's God. We are not God. That's why I'm not at my last church God is not sovereign in the earth today. Give me a break. Praise the Lord. I'm out of time. We're going to pick up again next week on this. I just want you to know we got some good verses. Study James chapter 1, verses 21, even 22. They'll do you nothing but good. I pray you have a good week. God bless you. God keep you. God cause his face to shine upon you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.